we wanted to tell the story of athletes who identify as Afro-Latinos through the lens of race. And that's something that we hadn't done before. Um, so that that program for me uh, in particular, as an Afro-Latina myself, was certainly a program that I was incredibly proud to work on. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of media, technology, global sports, disruption, all different kinds of things as usual. I'm Joe Favorito. Back with my co-host, Tom Richardson, wearing a spiffy shirt that you will not be able to see, but I will just kind of let everybody know that. Uh, Tom, here we are, the middle of October. Yes, and, and, and Joe, this is the end of, of a, a big week for the industry with um, World Congress of Sports having been having taken place for the first time in a long time, and you actually got to attend. So I was able to follow along thanks to your heroic efforts on Twitter, reporting all the best takeaways. Uh, tell us about the week. What, what was it like being back in person with everybody? Uh, it was exhausting. And it's funny. <laughs> I can't tell you at the end of the day, how many people, a lot of people left, but people who were walking around and I had talked to uh, Melanie Walner, who's uh, works with Drone Racing League at the end of the day. And she was like, you know, I went to a wedding and it's just this whole mental thing of like not being able to look at your phone or actually having eye contact with someone or having to talk to 15 people at the same time is exhausting. You forgot how to do it after 18 months. And it was great. Um, it was, you know, enough people. I think SBJ did a great job in, in the first kind of mass gathering to make people feel safe um, and also kind of get people back in the room literally saw a lot of old faces that I have not seen in 18 months, which is kind of crazy since you and I went down the escalator at the Sloan MIT conference. Right. In um, early March of 2020. Yeah, early March of 2019 or 2019. 20. Yeah, I guess. No, that was 20. That was no, right before right, the lockdown right. in March of 2020. Right. And then um, uh, I also attended the Financial Times um, evening last night at the end of their virtual conference which was really interesting. Jerry Cardinale, an amazing speaker, has great vision. Um, uh, he was one of the speakers. Ari Emanuel closed it out. It was a good two and a half hours uh, in a room. And, and as I had mentioned to you before, somehow I got stuck at the cool kids table just because I walked in. So I ended up at Ari's table uh, and just kind of watching the entourage and literally from entourage um, kind of play out. But he was he was really insightful as to where, where they've gone and how they've grown. And uh, Mav Carter spoke as well. So it was, a, it was a good but exhausting 48 hours with class and everything else mixed in in between. Wow, well, good for you. It must be a good feeling. I'm sorry I couldn't be there, hopefully for the next one. What, what's, the, what's the next big one in person on the, on the docket? Well, I guess um, by the time people listen to this, Game Changers will have already happened, uh, which is, um, I, early October, and then there's Deal Makers. There's one in Chicago. Women's Sports Foundation was this week, um, so it's 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 kind of picking up steam a little bit. You know, the question is, how much money can you spend on conferences if you have to pay for them, and and how many times can you see the same people over and over again? So yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully uh, it continues on, along this path. Um, hey Tom, by the way, today is October fifteenth, and it's also the end of Hispanic Heritage Month uh, in the U.S. and that is one of the reasons why we have our guest today, but also 
She has a pretty expansive career at what used to be known as, I didn't realize it's no longer known as the worldwide leader in sports. I was told that by my friend, Crystal Plaka this week. It's a different name now. Oh, really? Um, wow. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Latinx, Latinos, Latinas in sports, and really kind of how a, a massive media company like ESPN uh, has worked with or worked around or through the space um, and a lot of lessons learned as we finish Hispanic Heritage Month uh, with our guest today, uh, Santa Brito, who is the um, Director of Communications for ESPN, but has spent 15 years there on both uh, the communications and the marketing side. So Santa, welcome to the CUSP show. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Pleasure Thanks for having me. Yep. Excellent. So, so kick it um, off. Let's get. Let's, yeah. This is a great. This is a great guest, and, and this should be yeah. an interesting conversation. So, why don't you uh, go first? So, Santa, most importantly, uh, why don't you kind of run us through your career path, especially the way the space has evolved, the Spanish language space has evolved globally for ESPN, and you've really kind of been, literally, no pun intended, at the cusp of the whole period, having been there for fifteen years now. Yeah, so I started at ESPN as an intern uh, my last year in college. I went to Pace University. I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. Uh, when I immigrated here, moved to the Bronx. And um, when I went away for college, one of the things that I knew was that I wanted to work in a space where I could use my Spanish. And so I would say serendipitously, um, I came across an internship opportunity at ESPN uh, during my last, during my, my, my senior year. And I have been there since. And I really have been with the company pretty much from the beginning. Um, I, I remember joining ESPN a year before the company decided to launch what is today ESPN the Fortis, uh, which is our Spanish language um, network. Um, before that, ESPN was already doing some programming in Spanish, uh, mostly on the weekend. We were doing, at that point, uh, Sunday Night Football back then, uh, and we were doing uh, we were doing MLB, as a matter of fact. We were also doing um, the Sunday Night Baseball package uh, in Spanish for, for a few years. Uh, but, you know, the last census really, um, I would say... Uh, opened the eyes for a lot of companies in terms of the potential that the Latinx market had. Uh, it really sort of solidified for a lot of companies that, hey, like this is a market that we have to pay attention to. It's not that it's the right thing to do, but really that it makes business sense for any company that's looking into the future and is looking into future growth to really pay attention to the market and find ways to um, to really cater to, to Latinos. I think part of that story, Joe, that is quite interesting is that Santa started as an intern. And yeah. boy, talk, talk about a, a, great, a great narrative about how you basically work your way up to a, a great position. Um, just talk about that aspect of it. Because it's not often that interns not only get the full-time job, but also stay as long as you haven't and been as successful as you've been. Yeah, and so I was, um, when I, I was first exposed to the media industry, um, when I did an internship at El Diario La Prensa, which is 
the uh, main Spanish language paper here in New York. So that was sort of like really my first introduction into media. No one in my family um, has been in the industry. Um, you know, I just happen to have been attracted to it, particularly because again, the connection with Spanish. So I came, I moved to the US when I was 13 years old. I didn't speak English. So as I, you know, as I went through the process of high school and college, the thing that was clear to me was that like figuring out a way to work in a space where I can connect with my community through uh, my language. So, you know, ESPN actually is one of those places that there's actually a few interns at ESPN that started their career at ESPN and uh, were able to, um, you know, uh, develop really successful careers at the company. Um, and I think, you know, I started at ESPN in a point where um, because I was completely focused on um, on supporting our Spanish language or the businesses that we were doing on the Hispanic side, I had an opportunity to really sort of um, tap into different areas of the company. So I had an opportunity to work on corporate outreach. I had an opportunity to work um, on ad sales. I had an opportunity, I think, to be exposed to areas of the company um, that um, perhaps I might have not been exposed to had I been working on another segment um, of the company. You know, like when you work on the multicultural space, um, the one thing that we know is that the resources are limited. So we get to do a little bit more, right? And with that, um, I use that as an opportunity to just get exposure into other areas of the company. It's a great story. Um, Joe, if you don't mind, one more follow-up on, on that ESPN experience as it as the agenda evolved over the 15 years. When ESPN invests in a new partnership, and let's use UFC as an example, I assume they do a pretty deep dive into the marketing considerations around how they're going to introduce the sport on the network and into the audience <laughs> in terms of demographics. Is that a safe assumption? Is there a lot of strategy going into the analysis of the market segmentation, let's say vis-a-vis -vis Hispanic, Latino, et cetera? Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, having worked on particular UFC uh, and being there from, from the beginning, um, you know, when, when we first acquired UFC, I remember we came together with UFC and had a meeting in Bristol, Connecticut. And UFC actually came prepared with their own marketing segmentation and how they were looking at the audience. And uh, in one of the pockets that UFC is particularly specifically focused on is on growing uh, the Hispanic um, side of the business because their research has shown that Hispanics love combat sports, right? So that's both UFC, that's boxing, which is obviously not a secret. So for us, when we look at the Hispanic market in particular, and that has evolved over the years, right? So when we launched the Fortes, um, you know, over uh, 15 years ago, we were focused specifically on targeting Spanish dominant Latinos, right? Uh, fast forward to today, the growth uh, on the Hispanic segment, uh, we know is coming from bilingual and English dominant Latinos and our marketing has evolved in the same way. So for example, to where, you know, maybe 15 years ago, we might not have been specifically creating marketing, um, you know, marketing campaigns on the general market side to cater to Latinos. 
our marketing creative nowadays really focuses, we try to, you know, come up with strategies that um, that have that component, right? So for UFC, for example, or for boxing, if we have a marketing campaign that's running on the general market side or for mainstream audience, we make sure to include certain cultural cues or certain cultural elements uh, where if a Latino is watching, uh, you know, they feel represented. We do that really well with baseball as well. Um. So to touch a little bit on the storytelling side, uh, that's obviously evolved. And the value of not just watching a game that happens to be SAP, which anybody can do, versus how the narratives have played out and how that's evolved during your time, um, especially at ESPN Deportes from where it started to how in-depth does the storytelling go and how valuable is that to the audience you're trying to reach? So, you know, storytelling and that, and I would say that that is, you know, true with any, um, with any sports fan, right? Like we know that people love and follow good storytelling uh, within the Latino community that is uh, specifically um, that, you know, being able to connect with fans through storytelling, it's critical because, you know, we want to feel represented, right? Um, so from a storytelling standpoint, um, you know, like when we're doing a live, um, a live game, for example, we try to find ways to tell the story of, you know, a baseball player, for example, that came from the Dominican Republic and really find ways to, you know, tell their backstory and um, integrate it into the coverage uh, in a way that if you're a Latino, you can appreciate it, right? Because you feel uh, represented. And the one thing that we do know through the research that we've done on Latinx is that representation matters, right? So we always find ways through, you know, through our 30 for 30s, for example, um, to, to, to really go behind the scenes and, um, and, uh, and look at what got a player to uh, where they are today. Um, it's something that we did uh, recently in February during Black History Month, for example, like one of the projects that we worked on um, around um, um, social justice, we wanted to look at uh, the intersection of sports, Latinx, and race, right? So we produced this project called Somos Afro-Latino, which really, you know, inter the, the, the whole point was to take a look at the intersection of race and sports through the Latino angle, because we're not, you know, Latinos are not a monolith. Right. Um, you know, and that's one of the mis misconceptions that uh, we, um, are, we currently come across, right? That we are, you know, one group and, you know, kind of like one size fits all. And, you know, we, we come from so many different countries. The only thing that really sort of like brings us together is the language. So with that show specifically, for example, we really try to, um, uh, uh, how can I say this? We tried, um, we wanted to tell the story of athletes who identify as Afro-Latinos through the lens of race, 
And mm. that's something that we hadn't done before. Um, so that that program for me uh, in particular as an Afro-Latina myself was certainly a program that I was incredibly proud to work on. Santa, one of the audiences that I think is really interesting to talk about is not just the Latino audience, but the Latina audience. Um, how has the Portes tried to embrace and expand opportunities specifically for women in a space that sometimes gets overlooked? I mean, ESPN is already doing a lot in the in this in that space, particularly with the ESPNW brand, which specifically focused on elevating um, women in sports. From a um, from a U.S. Hispanic standpoint, in terms of representation, you know, one of the things that we know is that Latinos tend to do co-viewing. Uh, Latinos, uh, from an audience standpoint, um, are one of the group that have the highest co-viewing habits, right? So we know that when you're watching a game, we tend to watch a game together. Um, but this uh, year for Hispanic Heritage Month, we have five pillars. And one of those pillars specifically focused on covering Latina women in sports and the, you know, the impact that they um, have made in sports. So, you know, when we look at how do we, um, you know, how do we serve or elevate Latinas, we do it through storytelling. Um, which we're doing now um, during Hispanic Heritage Month. We actually um, finalized a shoot that we did in um, at a hair salon in New York City. We brought together a group of five Latina athletes for a conversation around image and how they've been able to navigate um, the world sports uh, and, and manage their brand as Latinas in their respective space. So we brought um, a boxer, Marlene Esparza, we brought a gymnast, we actually brought a UFC fighter, um, you know, to have those conversations in terms of, you know, the challenges they face as Latinas uh, in sports. And then from a live event standpoint, we are also and I want to say that this was the first year um, of, of those deals, but we air uh, Copa de la Reina, which is uh, Spanish soccer. Um, and we are also airing, actually, we started this year airing uh, first division soccer from Mexico. So Liga Femenil de Mexico. Um, you know, so it's it, we still have some work to do there, but I think that we really have, uh, we're starting to, you know, to establish uh a strategy in terms of identifying the opportunities to continue to elevate uh, Latinas uh, in the space. Can I ask about your social media work? Because obviously as director of communications, we think about communications outlets. So you've got the obvious like press releases, um, the, the site, ESPN.com, apps, et cetera. But because of the size and influence of the social networks, obviously, what you're doing to amplify what you're trying to convey to everybody has to, means you, you have to put a lot of thinking and strategy, I assume, into social media. Can you talk about that and specifically how you and your team get involved to operationalize that? It's one thing to talk about good social media strategy, but someone's got to be doing it day in and day out, as, as you know, and that's hard. 
Yeah, we do. I mean, we're a group, we're a small group, we're, we're nimble. We are really fortunate to have uh, people in our team that specifically uh, support us from a social media standpoint. I mean, when we're looking at an announcement, uh, we're looking at an announcement in every angle, right? It's not just about, you know, having a press, it's not just about distributing a press release, right? There has to be, um, you know, representation from a social media standpoint. Uh, we have a PR handle, which is um, at ESPN, PR. Uh, and so whenever I'm working on an announcement, I, uh, for La Liga, for example, which we announced earlier this summer, I specifically work closely with, uh, with, a, with our social media group to make sure that we had assets in both languages because uh, mm. La Liga, for example, it's a property that we're carrying both in English and Spanish. And we felt that it was important for us to show up um, in both languages. Um, so from a social media standpoint, particularly when, I, when we're focused, when I'm working on, on a property that I know skews high among Hispanics, for example, I um, always try to have assets in both languages to make sure that we are speaking to Latinos in an authentic way, whether it is in English or Spanish. And how would you assess the relative importance of the top platforms for your audience? Um, I was from a PR standpoint, or do you no, mean no, like sorry, overall I'm, from what, a fan? I, so obviously you think about the social strategy, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. For, for your objectives, what platforms are most important and, and just kind of a quick top line assessment of them? For a PR standpoint, absolutely Twitter. Um, oh, you know, that's, okay. yeah, I mean, for us, uh, it's, it's absolutely, for media specifically, it's absolutely Twitter. Uh, we obviously have a, um, a Twitter presence as well. Uh, from a consumer, from the consumer side, right? But when we're looking specifically, speaking specifically about PR, um, you know, Twitter uh, it, it is definitely at the top of, you know, at, at the top of the priority list. What, what about the, from, from what you've been able to ascertain the interest and behavior of the audience that you're trying to reach in terms of their preferences? That's a, that's a really good question. So, I mean, listen, so for, so I'm going to say from a consumer standpoint, um, there's certainly uh, the strategy has to focus around Instagram. You know, we know that Latinos um, are really digitally savvy. Um, they're young, right? So when I was on the consumer marketing side, for example, um, I used to do consumer marketing, multicultural marketing uh, prior to, to um, coming back to PR. And from a consumer marketing standpoint, um, Instagram was absolutely like at the top of uh, my priority list from a platform standpoint. On the PR side, it's the, it's the inverse, right? Like we have a presence on Instagram uh, for PR and um, our presence on Instagram, it's really focused on elevating employees, right? So for example, um, El Clasico, which is coming up in a couple of weeks on Instagram, my strategy from the PR standpoint will most likely focus on um on showing behind the scene videos, like showing who's doing the work. Um, you know, I'll, I might do, for example, an interview with the producer for a classical. Uh, whereas on Twitter, 
even though we do do a little bit of that, right? Like, you know, like here's the person behind this product. Uh, we're specifically more focused on, on media, right? On communicating press releases. Um, so for, from a, from a, from a U.S. Hispanic standpoint, if you're asking from a consumer standpoint, definitely uh, Instagram is, you know, at the top, but for media, Twitter, uh, it's, it's at the top when I'm working specifically on trying to, to, um, uh, you know, if I'm working on an announcement, definitely Twitter is, it's my go-to. Cool. Um, I have one more question, and I know we're going to get to our last two questions, which, of course, we prepped you on. Um, and I'm sure, Tom, if you had another one, um, you know, you mentioned you worked on the consumer marketing side. I remember when I was at the Knicks and the NBA started doing, quote, Latin heritage days. What was interesting was people would slap los on things and say, oh, we've checked the box and here we go. Um, have you seen the evolution of brands being more savvy to create content specifically for the audience that you are dealing with versus just, you know, either putting subtitles on something or, or just changing the audio. Um, and how, how has that evolved in the last few years, especially? Yeah, I mean, that definitely has evolved. And I think it has evolved because the consumer has a higher expectation. Great. Um, you know, uh, where maybe, uh, you know, 10 years ago where, or when I started my career in media, it might have been okay to just, you know, put subtitles on something. Uh, I can tell you that the Latino consumer today definitely expects a, you know, a, a better project. It's not just about dropping subtitles, right? For us, as a matter of fact, for us, it's more important to feel represented in the storytelling, in the narrative, rather than the language. And the companies that are doing that, those are the companies that are really, you know, that 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 um, uh, that are doing a really good job in terms of making sure that Latinos feel represented with organically, right? Cool. What does that look like in terms of the deal making for you guys? Are you or your sales team out or sponsorship team soliciting corporate support for this agenda? Or are they getting incomings, companies that have determined that it's an important facet of a strategy and they're coming to ESPN for help? Are you talking about specifically like ad sales, for example? Yeah, ad sales and sponsorship. Mm -hmm, in other mm -hmm. words, we're talking about brands and what they may do to be more mm -hmm. authentic and not like mm -hmm. the old days at the Knicks, just slapping on logos. Mm -hmm. and, and as you pointed out, that takes some work. It takes serious strategy. But I'm just curious about how that's all coming together between ESPN and the brands. Is, is that a mutually um, kind of manageable sales relationship or are you getting a lot of inbounds because of the heightened interest in multicultural marketing, you know what I mean? As opposed yeah. to a sales team pounding away in, in the sponsorship community? So I think it's a little bit of both because I think a lot of advertisers have gotten really savvy as well and are looking at the numbers, right? And they, you know, a lot of advertisers know that in order to grow, they have to uh, target Latinos, right? Um, so I would say it's a little bit of both, you know, some advertisers do come to us and they specifically want to focus on targeting Latinos. Um, other advertisers uh, might come to us and that might not be their main priority, but then, you know, our, our sales force um, 
what's uh, what's good about it is that we're not working in silos, right? So the person who might be, uh, you know, selling, you know, one property, we know how to sell that property across the board and, and include, um, you know, and include the different, include ESP and Deportes, right, within their overall package. So I, I would say it's a little bit of both. It depends, like some advertisers are definitely leading the way in terms of, you know, where they are in their efforts to uh, serve Latinos. And then there's some brands that are a bit more emerging. And, uh, uh, you know, with those brands that are a little bit more emerging, we have a lot of data on our end uh, and that we come back to them with, right. you know, sort of like here's a 360 approach of how to reach Latinos, not only uh, in Spanish on ESPN Deportes, but also on ESPN um, in English. Yeah, I, I would say one of those I would imagine is Modelo that has really yes. stepped up and has done some amazing mm -hmm. storytelling around uh, some amazing personalities who people may not know and it's an affinity for, for their product, which I think has been great, even on the English language side, which, you know, they're definitely leading the way by far. Modelo does absolutely an incredible job. Not only, um, not only in the way they're investing their dollars, but I think also in their creative. Cool. Hey, um, so Santa, as I said, uh, we usually end with two questions. Um, one is how do you stay up to date, especially in a bilingual environment, you know, where do you get your information from? How do you follow people? And then, you know, you touched a little bit about this that, that Tom alluded to coming up through the ranks from, from an intern being there kind of when the switch went on. Um, but what advice do you give to people either transitioning in careers or just starting out uh, as to how to kind of move things along? So what do you follow and how do you stay uh, up to date and what's your advice? Uh, well, in terms of what I follow, I follow quite a few people on Twitter. Um, I, <laughs> I would say I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, so, you know, there are key reporters that I, you know, I follow. I have notifications for, for example, if I know they have, you know, a story that's dropping or, you know, reporters that I know that I, that I, that I like to read on what they have on a daily basis. Um, I also follow SBJ or SBD. I sort of like our go-to um, every day. Um, and then on the Hispanic side, uh, Produ, which is um, a trade, it's similar to SBJ, uh, but it's focused specifically on Hispanic marketing. So that's, it's certainly, you know, one outlet that I follow um, on a daily basis in terms of just sort of like staying up to date and what's going on from, uh, from an advertising standpoint or from a trade standpoint in the, in, you know, in the, in the marketplace. Um, and then as far as advice for, you know, people who are either transitioning, right? Um, uh, in their careers, I would say, you know, tap into your network. I think your network is uh, your most valuable asset. And when I say tap into your network, I am not saying, you know, like if you have a contact, uh, if on LinkedIn, for example, you are connected to a person and that person is connected to someone else, don't be shy, you know, ask, hey, can you make an introduction uh, to so-and-so? Um, you know, that's certainly something that I, I do um, uh, regularly. So that would be my, you know, tap into that network, regardless of where you are really in your career. 
Cool. Are, you, are, are you actively mentoring people now that you've got this fantastic experience? You seem to be, be um, to care about this topic. I, I'm just curious about your mentorship. I do. Um, you know, so the other day I was thinking, and I've been, I guess all of us have been thinking throughout the pandemic, have been doing a lot of heavy thinking, right? In terms of, um, I don't want to say, I don't want to call it my, I don't want to call it my legacy, right? Um, but in terms of what brings me the most joy and what brings me the most joy, and I have it on my Twitter hand, I have it everywhere, is really finding ways to elevate other voices, other people who look like me, other women who look like me. You know, like I said at the beginning, I you know came to this country not speaking the language and Quite honestly, uh, it was hard, like breaking through media. It was it was hard because in those early years, I didn't really have a lot of, you know, I didn't have the, um, the, uh, the, I don't want to say that I didn't have the role models, but um, there were not a lot of people in the room who looked like me, right? So it was the first few years, I can say they were absolutely tough. Um, so for me, uh, uh, you know, uh, whether it is not only mentoring, and I'm part of, uh, last year we formed a group internally that is called the Multicultural Women's Network, and our focus is specifically on elevating other multicultural women within the company, and we're focused, we've spent the last year talking about two things. One is mentorship, right, and um, what does that look like, regardless of where you are in your career? Um, but then sponsorship as well, right? Uh, you know, women tend to be over mentor and under sponsor, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you strategize around your career to make sure that you not only have a mentor, but that you also have, you know, a sponsor who's really going to speak up for you uh, whenever there is a, you know, a high visibility project, uh, you know, like who do you have in the room who can speak up for you and say, hey, this person can do it. So for me, particularly, both mentoring and sponsorship are two things that I'm absolutely, you know, committed to because I know what it has done for me, right? Like I've had great mentors uh, and great sponsors throughout my career at ESPN. I remember the first promotion I got, I got that promotion because the uh, then head of ESPN Deportes, he said, you know what, Santa, you've been doing such an amazing job on this and he spoke up for me. So I think it is important to have those voices. It's important for us to be, find ways to just give, to give back. Mm -hmm. great. Terrific, that's great. Hey, um, so the last question, most importantly, Santa, how do people find you and where should they be following everything that's going on in Deportes? So the uh, Portes, uh, you can follow the Portes at ESPN Deportes on both Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Simply search for Santa Brito. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Santa Brito um, as well. And don't be shy. Feel free to reach out. Cool. That was great. Yeah, really thank enjoyed you. it. I am so thank sorry. So I'm much. used to doing this stuff. I'm like, I'm used to pitching. I'm used to play an executive, <laughs> right, for this. So. Yeah, well, you're good at <laughs> it. <laughs>
No, I lo love the passion, lo love the yeah. authenticity you bring to, to something that's really important. So uh, congrats on all the success. Thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for having me. Cool. So uh, once again, this has been The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito. Uh, for my co-host, Tom Richardson, and our special guest today, Santa Brito, Director of Communications at ESPN, formerly known as the Worldwide Leader. Thanks for listening in, and uh, we'll see you down the road.